Hello and welcome to the March or Die show today. Very glad to have you joining me and excited about our topic and our guest today. We are going to discuss a topic that uh, I bring up from time to time. It's so important and really so central, I think, in many ways to understanding what it is to have a strong society, to have a strong home, to be an influence in our world for good. We talk about all of these things. But at the core of that is a clear understanding of what it means to be a man. What is masculinity? More specifically, what does it mean to be a Christian man? So confusing in our world, and Christian men, even the idea of masculinity outside of Christianity, is uh, abused, maligned, attacked. Today we know that. And yet we who believe that the answer for our society is a relationship with Jesus Christ— that God works through men to lead homes, to lead in our culture and in our society, to lead in our churches. We have to understand what it is to be a man, and then how we, who hold to biblical teaching and biblical principles, who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how we can attract men in our culture and in our society. Uh, maybe you're a man that wants to attract friends, those that you know, to Jesus Christ, not to yourself, but to Christ. This conversation is for you today, perhaps a Christian woman, a wife, a, uh, a girlfriend, a mom, someone who certainly is concerned about the men in their lives. We have uh, this conversation for you today as well. We need to understand, even as churches, how we can attract and minister to men. So thankful for this conversation. We're going to jump into it in just a second. Before we get there, again, thank you for joining me. Really appreciate it. If you are listening to the podcast version of this and not watching, thank you for doing that. Make sure that you are subscribed on your favorite podcast platform. How do you know what your favorite podcast platform is? It's probably the one you're listening to on right now. So go ahead and subscribe. And uh, that lets you know when new content comes out, feeds it directly to you every Saturday morning. And uh, that would be great. So go ahead and subscribe there. Do it right now. And then take some time, jump over to YouTube if you'd like to, and uh, check out our YouTube YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, look for my name, Jeremy Stonlicker. You'll find the channel there. This show is there as well as other content that I push out as well. And uh, maybe you're not a YouTube person, that's fine. I get it. A lot of people aren't, but perhaps you are. Uh, many people enjoy watching the video more than they do just listening to the audio. Uh, I'm one of those people that if there is a video podcast, I'll turn the video on and listen to it. <laughs> I like the video. Uh, I'll drop in and out, but I can listen to it as well. If that's you, go over to YouTube. Look for my name, Jeremy Stalnicker. You'll find my channel there. Hit subscribe, then hit the notification bell. That lets you know when this and other content comes online. And I'd love to share that with you as well. And now, pretty new. I've been talking about this for the last few weeks. If you're on Spotify, the video is there as well. All right. It's everywhere. Thanks for listening. Thanks for connecting. And now we will jump into our conversation. My guest today is David Murrow. Uh, perhaps you're familiar with the work of David. If you're not, you'll get familiar here in just a minute. But David is an author, a speaker, a sermon coach, television producer, writer, inventor. And on his website, it sums all of this up by saying he's also an all-around nice guy. <laughs> I believe that. Uh, he is an all-around nice guy. Very gracious with his time. Uh, really interesting background, starting in film, television, um, producing, writing, all of those things that you would consider maybe traditional uh, film, traditional media. 
and has written a number of books. And, and this is the transition transition that we talk about uh, at the beginning of this interview. Uh, written a number of books on uh, not just biblical masculinity, but how the church can minister to men, how women can minister to the men in their lives and bring them to an understanding of who Jesus is. And uh, man, so many great things he's written. He's got a great blog. His books are incredible and very happy that he would come on and have this conversation with me and with you today and uh, very very appreciative uh, very appreciative of his time i'm so excited to get to the interview i'm talking so fast, so fast my mind and my brain can't keep up uh, with each other but uh, really glad that you're with me and glad that we can have this conversation i talk about this all of the time but david has spent uh, decades literally thinking about talking about and writing about this and excited to share this conversation with you please enjoy this interview with david murrow David, thank you for joining me today. Really appreciate your time. It's taken a minute to set this up, but thanks for your patience. Let's go. All right. Well, there are so many things I'd like to ask you about, and uh, you have such a diverse background, and, and I, I kind of like to start there. So your your background really is film, it's um, you know television, movie production, script writing, it's, it's mm-hmm. all of those things, but perhaps what you're the most well-known for, at least in kind of the Christian universe, is your writing and speaking on men, uh, how churches can connect with men. That's where your focus seems to be or has been. You've written on other things, of course. You're now doing coaching for those who are trying to do a better job communicating online. So it's a very diverse background. Can you kind of Mm -hmm. take us back to maybe not the beginning, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. close to the beginning? Um, Talk about your faith journey and how you became focused on really trying to get Christian men to connect and engage. Well, yeah, there is a there is a connection between my background in media, um, because when you work in the media, you learn that everything has a target audience. Um, The obviously ESPN has a different target audience than the Oprah Winfrey Network. You know, one's targeting men, the other targeting women. And so uh, I was just sitting in church one day and I suddenly realized that the target audience of my church was a middle aged to older woman. And that was everything from the way the church was decorated with quilts and flowers and banners and ribbons and lace and the ministries that involved cooking and caring for the sick and children and, and um, all the things that women were into is what my church was offering. So, and there was always more women than men involved in church. The men seemed to be dragged by their wives. And so I wrote a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church back in 2005. And it just identified some of the ways that we were subtly uh, catering to the women and ignoring the needs of the men. And it, it really kind of blew up on me. It was reviewed in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. I was on Fox News. I was on PBS. Uh, it really kind of... Um, identified a problem that was not just a religious one, but a sociological one, that men and women do tend to respond differently to things. And we need to do a much better job reaching the men in the church by speaking their language. And, uh, you know, not just making the church all about being nice little, nice little boys, but uh, emphasizing the adventure and the challenge of following Jesus Christ. What is, what is your faith background? How did you come to Christ? And, you know, what was that journey like for you? Well, I mean, I grew up like a lot of baby boomers. We were kind of social uh, Christians. We'd go on Sunday, uh, but there was really no faith commitment in the house, especially from my father. I didn't have an example of that. Um, When I was a teenager, I met two men who invited me to a Bible study, and these guys were, they had great marriages. They were happy all the time, unless, unlike my dad, who was screaming all the time. And I recognized the difference in what they had. And so, um, started going to a Bible study at one of their homes, uh, got connected with the church there. And then just one night really recognized my need for Christ, that I was becoming more like my dad than like these men. Yeah. 
and I needed to change. And so I went into my bedroom and I prayed these three sentences. I said, uh, Lord, I'm messing my life up from now on. You're the boss, whatever you say, I'll do. That was my sinner's prayer. (laughs) And (laughs) I got up from that prayer changed and, uh, felt a new power in my life. I was more forgiving. These gracious words start tumbling out of my mouth that where did that come from? Uh, kindness toward others that had been my enemies. It really did. God's power began working in my life. So that's kind of my testimony. And I want to see more men experiencing that. And it saddens me that church has become such a difficult place to find that. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, I, I've had these, I've been involved in ministry for a long time and uh, church ministry for a long time. And, and I've thought about some of these things that you talk about and some of these things that you write about. It's crazy when you start focusing on on it, though, you see it. Um, maybe two months ago, three months ago, I started reading why men hate going to church. And that was my exposure to it. Read some of your blog posts and it was just on my mind. These are things I agree with and I've agreed with and, and I connect with, I was visiting a church, um, in that timeframe. And I was standing in the sanctuary looking around going, there's not a man on the planet that would want to come to this church. And I, there was nothing happening. There wasn't a message being preached. There was no music playing. I was standing there in the middle of the sanctuary by myself, waiting for everything to start, just looking around and thinking, why would a guy want to come in here? What's, what's appealing about this to anyone? Um, when you think about men, because I think this is a question, we say maybe 70% of churchgoers, regular churchgoers are women. Um, why is it important? that the Christian world connect with men? And I think that's one question that needs to be answered and established. Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, let me correct that stat. You're a little high. It's uh, the average church in North America draws an adult crowd that's 61% female and 39% male among adults. Among kids who are compelled to go by their parents, it's roughly 50-50. So let's get that down. The the gender gap starts showing up in high school. When When boys have a chance to assert their independence and autonomy and they decide that, you know, they don't want to do childish things anymore. And so church is one of the first things they abandon because they associate that with their childhood. Right. Uh, why is it important for churches to connect with men? Well, well as my friend Kenny Luck, uh, who used to be the men's pastor at Saddleback, always says, there is no move of God without men of God. Mm. If you look at the Bible, there's a consistency. Every time God moves, he moves through men. And this is not to say that he doesn't use women as well, but the great movements in, in the church, the great movements toward God, the great movements against the problems that society faces have always been spearheaded by men. So, you know, another analogy that I like is a one winged bird can't fly. And so if our churches are completely led by women or the de facto leaders of the churches are women uh, and the men, that will just cause a cascading effect where the men will withdraw. The church will decline in numbers and influence. It'll tend to move toward theological liberalism, which is what we're seeing in the mainline churches where men have withdrawn. Women have stepped up to lead and it's led to a uh, an abandonment of orthodoxy. And then the church just dies out. So why do we need men? Because there's no move of God without men of God. And if we don't have any men in the church, the church will die. There are very prominent, uh, this is a little bit aside from where, <laughs> where I'd intended to go, but it's so fascinating. There's, there are a lot of, or there are some prominent uh, women church leaders, and we could name them. But the majority of large churches, particularly the megachurch movement, are led by men. There is an interesting, I don't know if it's a shift that's taken place, but it certainly has happened. Social media, I think, has contributed to it, where these men who are leading churches present a very masculine front. In fact, a lot of the social media is about, you know, exercising, working out, these these very masculine things that these mega church pastors are doing. 
I'm sure there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. But they continue then to connect to women in the church. Um, Is that an attempt to connect with men? Or I guess the question in there is why do these masculine men or these men who at least present themselves to be very masculine continue to connect primarily with a female audience? Where's the breakdown in that? Yeah, you're talking about the ripped pastor syndrome. Right, right, right. Uh, um, That's the thing right now. Oh, my gosh, yes. You know, Stephen Furtick is, I don't even know when he has time to prepare his sermons because he's probably (laughs) always in the gym. Um, My theory about the ripped pastor is he, when men come in and they see a a physically fit pastor with a nice build, it sends the message that this is a man. It's a very deep programming, but he... And then to women, women are comforted by that. Women have always been comforted in the presence of a a good-hearted, physically fit man, because it goes back to very primal, he can protect me if a saber-toothed tiger comes out of the woods, right? So, you know, there's nothing wrong with being physically fit for being a good example of fitness. That's a great thing. Um, Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm just saying that's probably what's going on at a deep psychological level. Uh, I'm going to respect a pastor who's, who's in good shape over one who is pudgier. Um, and again, this is not something that happens consciously. It's probably something that's happening in the deep rest recesses of my brain. And it, it feels like that is an attempt. Um, and again, I, I'm, I'm for that. I'm for fitness. I've written mm-hmm. on it. I've talked about it. I think if we're not yeah. stewarding our bodies. We're, we're not doing what God has called us to do. I completely mm-hmm. concur with that. Um, but it seems like that is the attempt that churches are making to connect with men. And I, I think there's a maybe a disconnect between what it even is to be a Christian man, if that's the attraction. Um, A lot of the folks that I have the opportunity to work with, they've worked in very masculine environments, whether it's in the military, the first responder community, they Mm -hmm. understand that. Mm -hmm. And then they come into an encounter with Jesus Christ. They give their, their lives to Christ. They become a Christian. They want to do right. And there is a strong disconnect between what they believe of masculinity and what they believe of Christianity. And they cannot see how the two connect. I think churches have a problem with that as well. Uh, Can you give a a working definition, if you have one, of what it means to be a Christian man or what genuine masculinity would be from a, you know, kind of a biblical worldview perspective? Jeremy, have I got a book for you. (laughs) So shortly after I wrote Why Men Hate Going to Church, uh, I would, I did a lot of speaking on the topic. Uh, for Promise Keepers and some others, men's ministry organizations. And about 90% of the guys, when I would talk about how feminized church was, you know, holding hands and crying and all the things, about 90% of the guys were just laughing their heads off. And 10% of them were just like this. Yeah, right, right, right. And they would, some of them would even come up to me at the book table afterward and they go, David, when I accepted Christ, I cried like a baby. I didn't care about my masculinity. I don't mind holding hands. with If a guy, I don't mind giving a guy a hug, you know, what they thought I was saying was that um, I was ridiculing these manifestations of the spirit that might be considered more feminine. I'm not ridiculing that at all. In fact, so it led me to write a book called the map, the way of all great men. It was my third book. So what happens is on the map, a, a typical man starts in what are called the macho foothills when he's in his teenage years he uh, is desperate to prove his manhood. So he goes out and he gets drunk. He gets laid. He spends his money on, you know, rims for his car. He does, he, you know, he, he does all these things to these stupid things to prove his manhood. That that's what he's doing. When he comes to Christ, the first act of his obedience to Christ is to move in that feminine direction. And we actually see this in the life of Jesus. It, the way Matthew tells Jesus's life, the first 
um, seven chapters of Matthew, Jesus, everything about him is is soft, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, blessed are the meek, uh, turn the other cheek, do not resist an evil person. It's all this very, what we would call more feminine sides to our personalities. And what this reveals is that as a Christian man, the first thing we have to do is tear down this artificial macho edifice, this this view of ourselves as men. Well, then in Matthew 8 through 25, Jesus moves completely the other direction and establishes a more typical masculine personality. He's clearing the temple. He's rebuking the Pharisees. He calls the crowds stupid. (laughs) He calls his own (laughs) disciples idiots. I mean, he's just like this raging um, lion. And then the final act of Jesus' life is what I call the journey of sacrifice, where he moves back in that feminine direction. He doesn't answer when he's falsely accused. He allows himself to be stripped, beaten, and crucified. And so this is actually a template for our walk with Jesus. We have to allow ourselves to get, for lack of a better term, get in touch with our feminine side at first, tear down that artificial macho masculinity that we've developed, and then allow Jesus to rebuild us as true, life-giving, sacrificing men. And then at the end, as we move into the age where I am, I'm, I'm in my 60s now, I've got to make that difficult turn and go back into that sacrificial direction, yielding my strength to the next generation. Don't hoard it like David did and uh, the other David from the Bible right. and uh, <laughs> give, give, it to, give it to the next generation. So it's a fascinating study. If you have it, I'm, I'm, I hate to shill for my own books, but if you have a chance to pick up the map, the way of all great men, I think that's going to answer the question about how do we balance our lion and lamb? When do we fight? When do we turn the other cheek? Jesus is such an incredible example. I, I came out of the military. I was in the Marine Corps. Um, I was raised in a very strong Christian home. I was working in, on a church staff, and I had a complete breakdown uh, when it came to my understanding of leadership. Because I saw an example in one place, kind of the worldly model of leadership. And then I came into a church setting and it, I I describe it as often, it feels like the idea of servant leadership. I put that in quotes is, is manipulation with God attached to it. So if we can get people to do what we want them to do, because God said, and then we can call that servant leadership or spiritual leadership. And, and really it it is, it's two things. It's not one thing. It's an understanding of kind of the holistic aspect of who God created us to be, to be strong, to be compassionate, to be a servant, to follow him and encourage others to follow him. And when it comes to masculinity, Jesus provides, you're exactly right. And it's such an incredible example. And yet we tend to focus on one or the other aspect. I was traveling not too long ago up in the uh, Northwest, and I passed on the freeway a church that was called Guts Church. Oh, in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And and I, I had to get, you know, I got to where I was going and I started to look on the website and it's, it's entirely focused on the, you know, kind of the machismo, the strong Mm -hmm. man, but it Mm -hmm. leaves out a generation of people and a group of people that don't understand that. How do we, two questions, one is broad and the other one is personal. How do we connect with men then as Christians? So outside of the church, the church needs to do a better job. How do we, like me as a man, connect with other men that aren't Christians and help them to understand this is something they need and something that is desirable to have. Well, I've always thought that the most effective strategy is to ask great questions. And this was something that Jesus did. It's something that our churches need to be doing. Um, as I look at the the vast uh, army, or um, what am I trying to say? The vast library of men's ministry materials and men's materials, they don't seem to be ans- asking or as- at answering the questions men are asking. So I I think 
I mean, I would like to see, instead of seeing a sermon series on um, the book of Romans, why not a sermon series on like, um, uh, my last three girlfriends were psychos or, yeah, <laughs> I mean, just um, why do I keep picking the wrong person? Or, uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know what they would be, but right. we need to start asking, we need to start answering the questions men are actually asking. Will I ever be able to afford a house? Uh, well, uh, is the world completely nuts? Was Jesus a liberal or a conservative? Yeah. You know, just let's just, let's get into some of these tough questions. And I think we'll attract men because that Jesus never ran from a tough question. And I know this is a hard thing for pastors because they're trying to keep everybody happy. And we live in this controversial time. And, and, you know, is, do we vaccinate? Are we anti-vax? Was the election stolen? I mean, there's all these controversies swirling around, right? But um, I, I think there are some questions that we could be asking that men are actually answering that men are actually asking. And I think they'd be drawn to the church. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, if I understand it, that's the difference between saying uh, you are this. If you become a Christian, you need to become this. Mm-hmm. That's how we approach a lot of it. It's the difference between that and saying there is an answer for the things that you're dealing with in your life, and that answer is found in a relationship with Christ. One of the, one of the things, uh, one of the the greatest men's pastors of all times is Robert Lewis. He was the yeah. guy yeah. who uh, founded Men's Fraternity, the most successful right. men's video series of all time. And yes. one of his great quotes that I've always admired was, "You give men what they need, disguised as what they want." Hmm. And, you know, Christ was great at that. And I think we've, we may have lost a bit of that in the church because we do uh, present truth in very general terms or maybe even feminine terms. And we're not really presenting it in the way in presenting the questions men are ask are uh, asking. Yeah, that's good. Robert Lewis is incredible too. Our program is based largely on the men's fraternity curriculum. Um, we've taken a lot of that. And one of my favorite quotes from him is in life, we need to, um, accept responsibility and lead courageously. Mm-hmm. And, and the understanding of that is, is exactly that. It's answering those questions, understanding what is real and moving forward in light of that. Mm-hmm. We, we work to attract men and we need to answer questions. I love it. It's fantastic. How do I, as a dad, I have a 20, almost 21 year old son. He'll be 21 next week and a 12 year old son. Um, I'm not the only dad <laughs> here. How does a dad of boys I guess a dad of daughters as well, communicate this. How do I lead my boys, though, to grow up and become men that are masculine, that are strong, that can lead their homes, but that love Jesus, are not afraid to cry when, when they need mm-hmm. to? How, how do I develop that in them? Well, I think example is the first one. They're going to do what you, they're going to do what you do rather than what you say. The second one is, again, ask great questions. Don't be afraid of those difficult conversations. Um, you know, instead of general questions like, what are you dealing with at school? Um, let's have a talk about, you know, whatever it is. And just uh, if, if you sense something going on, if you get your kid to open up with you, let him know that he, that it's okay to talk to you about whatever, yeah. and that you're not going to get mad at him. And I think that would be very helpful. I, I would hope that you have that type of relationship with your sons where you can just ask an open question like that. And, uh, you know, or, what have you been reading the news lately, you know, and, and yeah, right. so, the, so that you can opine on those things because our kids live in this media saturated uh, world and they hear about a lot more of the world than we did, even when I was a kid, you know, and they're, the, the news is in front of them all the time. And they have this apocalyptic vision while well, the world is about to be destroyed by climate change or, you know, whatever it is. So um, give them the freedom to talk about these things and then just uh, reflect on, you know, what's really true. 
And I think those would be the two most valuable things you can do for your sons. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, last question, and I have many other questions I could ask, but last question for today. Uh, one of the books that you wrote is, um, let me get the title right. I don't want to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, How Women Help Men Find God. And mm -hmm. this is such an important topic as well. I think mm -hmm. many Christian women run their husbands off <laughs> when Unfortunately. Really they, they can to, to yeah. draw them to Christ. Um, and a lot of the questions that I get are from family members, from wives, frankly, who say, I want my husband to do right. I want what's best for mm -hmm. him. He's in a bad yeah. place. How can I help them? What are some of the top, you know, two or three things you'd say as a wife who loves Jesus and loves her husband, this is what you need to do. Well, of course, the most important one is pray, don't push. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard of women who like have withheld sex. If their husbands, yeah. if you don't go to church, <laughs> you know, that's a losing evangelistic church. strategy right there, ladies. <laughs> um, no, pray, don't push. That's one of the most important things is uh, just, just keep him in prayer. Uh, join with the other women in prayer. Uh, I know a church, I heard of a church group where there was a group of about 12 women, all of whom had uh, husbands who were not interested in the Lord. And they each brought photographs of their husbands and they placed the photographs in the circle one by one every week. And they prayed for their husbands and they all prayed for them. And about seven of them came to Christ within a year. Yeah, wow. So prayer is a very powerful weapon, but you need to be praying and praying with other women, specifically for your husbands, for your sons, for the men in your lives. Yep. Another thing that you can do is kind of uh, be willing to change churches if that's what your husband needs. I remember hearing a story of a woman whose husband resisted the Lord for years. And then she heard about this church that was full of men. And so she started attending this church. Well, her husband got curious enough that he went with her one Sunday and God bless this church. The Sunday that he attended, the pastor used a golf club as an illustration. He was talking about hitting the sweet spot and, you know, in life, if you're just a, a degree off, you can end up in the rough and he used all these golf analogies. Well, this guy was a scratch golfer. You know, and he walked out of that sermon pumped. He says, I've never heard a sermon like that. I could relate to all the illustrations. He was there the next week, the next week, within six months, he was on a mission trip to Peru. Yeah, incredible. So it was, it was just a find a church where there are men and be willing to change and leave your friends behind. And, uh, you, the chances are much greater because you don't realize how feminized your church may be. And the messages that are that your husband are receiving is this is not a place for you. It's a place for you and your kid, mm -hmm. you and the kids yeah. and find a place where a man can follow Christ without giving up his masculinity. Or, and um, I think you, you'll have a much greater success rate. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, again, Dave, so many other things I'd, I'd love to ask you about. I'd love to get into your online uh, preaching coaching Ooh, yeah. and, and those kind of things. We, we Hopefully we can do that again at some point. Maybe we can get All right. do that again. Sure. Um, but where can people follow you, um, get your books, learn about the work that you are doing? Yeah, um, I'm consolidating all my content at davidmurrow.com right now. I still have a website called churchformen.com that's going to be redirected over there real soon when I get that part of it built. But uh, yeah, davidmurrow.com or churchformen.com, you can get me a message, uh, find my books, get a copy of the map or why men hate going to church there. Awesome. David Murrow, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. You're the man, Jeremy. Grateful for that conversation. This is one that you not only want to listen to, hopefully you've listened all the way through, but you want to share out with someone in your life. If you care about the men in your life, the men may be the young men, the older men, maybe you're married to them, maybe you are a mom, a brother, a sister, a dad, someone that cares about men in your life that need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, please share this content out with them. 
This is a great interview. It's a short interview. It's a nugget. But David on his website has uh, so many other resources for you. So please check that out and appreciate you watching and or listening. For more information on me, other podcasts, and other content that I'm involved with, go to my website, jeremystalnicker.com, jeremystalnicker.com. You can find everything there. Appreciate you joining. We will talk to you next time. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.